Okay, so on the Metaverse show today, we've got a slightly different format for you. It's going to be a bit more conversational, and it's really spotlighting one of the investors in our ecosystem, one of the most active investors in our ecosystem, and something that we're looking to collaborate with even more deeply, and we'll get into that a bit later. Paul Sue. Paul Sue is the founder and CEO of Decasonic and is a experienced investor and operator and has a background you know well beyond web3 uh, including things like zynga so um, looking forward to getting to know paul better i this is actually the first time paul and i've ever spoken although our organizations are very familiar with one another so actually it's going to be a real pleasure for me to, to get to know paul a little bit better welcome paul jamie very excited to be here today Let's learn a little bit more about you, if nothing for my own benefit, but I'm sure the audience are really interested as well. As I said, you're an investor operator, founder and CEO of Decasonic. Maybe get like, into you first personally, your background, and then a little bit about Decasonic. As you mentioned earlier, technology investor and operator by background. My journey in Web3 really started with Web1 or .com. Entered Web1 as a Silicon Valley-based venture capitalist out of a $300 million fund had a front row seat to all the disruptive innovations of social and fiber optic networks and you know, multimedia streaming. Then went to get my operating experience at Zynga, as you mentioned, the makers of Farmville, Mafia Wars, Words of Friends. Uh, certainly early days of Web2, we innovated on free-to-play in North America and other in-app purchasing. Saw that from early stage to post-IPO, and, and it was uh, after the IPO that I rolled over some of those IPO funds into buying my first Bitcoin. Certainly, crypto is a natural extension of gaming, virtual worlds, virtual goods. Not, not, now they're called uh, metaverses and NFTs and digital collectibles. So in 2018, moved to Chicago to focus on blockchain, living closer to the mainstream audiences, living closer to a community that embraces inclusive growth, and also living closer to experts in digital assets trading, kind of a third leg of my expertise I want to round out. Got closer to that audience, got closer to that expertise. And then in 2021, closed this current fund, it's a Web3 native venture and digital assets fund, 48.88 million, hoping to back the you know, outlier founders. Very excited today to be on the podcast. Very excited today to be announcing our partnership with you in the latest Basecamp Accelerator on mainstream Web3. I mean, it would be remiss of us to, to not try to tap into your knowledge spanning those cycles of the web, right? Because lots of things that are happening now in Web3, sure, there's unique innovations, new innovations, but there's also a lot of stuff that's analogous. I know you have some quite strong feelings on the evolution of play to earn and stuff like that. I know they kind of semi-fall out of the current thesis. be interesting to kind of unpack that a little bit more. And off air, we were talking about, we're at this inflection point, this moment, maybe, where the macro environment's changing, potentially ventures changing, Silicon Valley Bank collapses the end rather than the beginning. I don't know how you, how, how you would look at it, is it? But I really want to kind of tap into your experience to, to better define the moment that we're in now for people to understand in the context of tech and tech venture. We are in a moment of history for technology right now. Uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I have so much respect for those founders who are able to build their visions through these setbacks and uh, that there are some close calls in the last week. You know, certainly external factors are pivoting 
how cash management might be done at, at banks, but but also on burn rates and and those founders that can build capital efficient growth will survive and thrive these bear markets. Not too dissimilar to the 0103 downturn, the great financial crisis when Zynga was born, and certainly in, in crypto. Jamie, you you and I have lived through these crypto winters before too, and and a, as you and I know. The founders who have that winner mindset, that do or die hustle, that conviction builds in spite of setbacks. Uh, they, they, you know, they they create the transformative companies, and and we're very committed to working with the these founders th- during these times and and help them build bigger. And so, I know an area of our collaboration, as you said, on the upcoming program, which is. You know, we often have some programs which are specific to a protocol, some programs which have a narrow thesis. This one, whilst it has a strong thesis, is slightly broader, deliberately, but it is very focused on this kind of commercialization of Web3, you know, um, making consumer-ready applications that can really bring on, on board, you know, billions of users. I know why we're interested in that now, why we think that's now. Why, why is it now for you? We believe mainstream Web3 has the potential to impact a, a lot of lives. Technology can lift up living standards, just like the internet, just like mobile. Web3 is no different. When you switch the internet to being a user-owned internet, and enables a lot of use cases that really impact daily lives. Along this thesis, we believe mainstream adoption of blockchain innovations is a trillion dollar opportunity. So for venture capitalists and founders, that capitalistic incentive is there for the for-profit, for-purpose founders, the inclusive growth opportunity is there too. Generally, our, our mainstream Web3 thesis uh, falls along three three bold visions. Blockchain will streamline how you pay, lend, borrow, or build wealth. Vision number two, Web3 will shape how you shop and engage with brands, especially along Web3 loyalty. Thirdly, the metaverse will transform how you spend meaningful time with others at, at work, at play, at home. I, I guess the question is like, why now? Do you think that the Web3 stacks reached a level of maturity? The UX has improved or do you just think that the imperative is on VCs and founders to now focus on commercialization? Because I know if we zoom out from the founder perspective and we think about what's going on in wider venture capital, I mean, you mentioned you're looking for this kind of growth, startups, founders that have are experiencing growth already. And I know we've seen that across the board, right? Everyone wants the top decile of teams now. They're deploying, they're more careful about where they're deploying capital. They want yep. to deploy it almost as growth capital, there is talk that it's that's going to become a greater requirement on any startup, not just in Web3, because there's going to be less capital coming into space, less funds closed, fund, fund managers are you know, having to manage their money better. That's structural. That's, that's not going to change, right? That's not because Web3 is in a bear market. This is fundamentally a re- restructuring of capital in, in a wider venture sense. Right? As seed stage investors, we're, we're always looking at areas where we're non-consensus. The general consensus is in a bear market, there's less capital. So, so startups will die out. You know, our, our view is less capital, more due diligence, more governance creates a healthier ecosystem. It's fewer distortions. It's collaborations like ours that help build uh, the durable use cases. It drives capital efficiency. Another general consensus is blockchain has to be in the background for Web3 to gain mainstream adoption. It, it needs to look and feel like Web2. 
I think our, our view is blockchain has to enable 10x better experiences. And, and it's upon growth and product experts like your team and my team to go help build those narratives, build those use cases to, to improve lives 10x, 20x, 100x, just like what .com and and mobile internet did. Another general consensus is, uh, you know, Web3 gaming and gamification is a great use case for blockchain. Our view is no consumer likes to be gamified. <laughs> you know, consumers want to have fun. Being part, part of speculation is not fun. And so true fans want to create, have fun and still earn money. So create to earn could be big. As you say, the kind of consensus is that and this whole Web 2.5 category now, which is, you know, you, you take some of the some of the benefits from Web 3, but you fundamentally, you know, creating a, a Web 2 like experience. And as you say, that creating an experience that's on par with the existing solution isn't a great way to replace it. You, you need to create an improved um, experience. So I really like how you you frame that. Are there any kind of examples that we could drill down into that that you've seen that kind of really reinforce that belief? Absolutely. You're you're seeing a lot of global brands come into Web three with this perspective of a ten x better buyer experience. Whether it's Amazon, you know, soon to announce Fidgetal, so digital collectibles attached to your physical purchases. I know you guys do uh, far-fetched base camp. So you're, you're seeing this in luxury and streetwear too, where what you wear in real life uh, would love to have a similar experience in your digital worlds. And whether they're initially PFPs or skins in a game, increasingly that digital identity gets expressed across uh, both IRL and URL. Lead investors, and I'm on the board of Forum 3, they're powering the Starbucks Odyssey uh, loyalty program. Current day, loyalty is very transactional. Hey, you know, collect credit card points, airline miles. There's an opportunity to use Web3 for experience loyalty. And th this is putting Web3 blockchain a little bit more front and center. It's it's not called NFTs. It's not that front and center. It's, it's still product marketed as digital collectibles. And, and at the same time, there's consumer value proposition around these are collectibles you own and you could modify and, and also, you know, share with your friends, you know, create experiences around this. Moving forward, brands like Starbucks will, will be influenced by how, you know, brand ambassadorship or their loyal consumers can, you know, engage and interact with their brands and products. If I kind of look at some of the, the themes that we're mutually exploring in the, in this program and applications are, are opening for this kind of ne ne next cohort that we're going to be running now. So I'll, I'll explain a little bit later about how people can apply. You know, I think what's what's interesting is the consensus we have between ourselves, at least in, in some non-consensus thesis. So, you know, I think this convergence, I don't know whether you talk about it in that sense, but for us, you know, not looking at blockchain in isolation, but looking at its convergence with AI, um, AR, and VR is is kind of a shared area of interest. How are you? How are you looking at that? I mean, obviously, AI's hot. I think it's generative AI has really caught everybody's imagination. You know, what's your perspective on what Web three can bring to AI? Jamie, I, I love your term convergence. We we've presented this day one to our investors as 
mutually accelerating exponential technologies. You know, it, it's one thing to have blockchain. You know, that's an open database, but without the metaverse or XR AR taking off, it doesn't give blockchain an interface. It doesn't put context to all that NFT data. When you have AI and ChatGPT4, it enables generative art for the metaverse. And, and again, it's mutually reinforcing, accelerating technologies. That convergence gives me a lot more optimism uh, around the the adoption of an open metaverse. So that that's where we're very aligned and great to know that uh, thought leaders like ourselves are helping founders build the same way. I, I think for me, what inspires me about the metaverse build out now is the pace of that content generation, that the dynamic nature of meta quests players can go on and, and the journeys, the narratives that get created so quickly versus, you know, dot com or web two social gaming that, that would take millions of dollars of budgets uh, around artists or storytellers or game designers to to go build that out. If you could 100x that speed, you're, you're going to see these assets created so quickly. Now, now you'll, you'll still have the experts around storytelling and art direction doing the main characters, but Certainly, the background characters, uh, uh, you know, the, the supporting cast, the dynamic nature of storytelling and quests and journeys are possibly going to be created by AI. Yeah, it's interesting. So we just published a thought piece. I think there's a blog post called "Composable Creativity," and you know, this idea when people think of Web three, they think of composability more in like a DeFi sense. But like when that same tooling can be applied by creators. Um, what does that do? It's interesting you said 100x. Uh, we're about to release a little thought piece on the 100x founder. So, of course, there's this term, the 10x developer, I think it is, you know, this like elite of the elite developers, but still ultimately constrained by the the kind of biology of, of being a person. But all of a sudden, as a founder, if I can do anything as simple as create a pitch deck, with generative AI, conduct desk research, draft thesis papers, write copy, all the way through to not just front-end app development, but now back-end app development with some basic prompts. The barrier to a founder creating a web app or a new IP franchise is dramatically lowered. And I think that's really interesting in our world because I think that also means less capital. It reinvents, well, what is the nature of venture when you need less money, you know, it extends the benefits that the cloud's brought and an infrastructure as code and all, all this kind of stuff. And, and then it takes it one step further where almost every aspect of what a founder needs to do to bring a web app to market is, is significantly sped up. So definitely excited to kind of explore that theme with you. And we, we kind of have this internally idea. Hopefully we'll get to, to get to find it in the program that we're going to run together. But we have a strong belief that there'll be a unicorn startup created this year with a solo founder and no employees um, and potentially no venture capital. <laughs> and I think it'll happen this year. They might not hit a, a unicorn this year, but they'll be born this year. Um, and in the next 24 months, they'll, they'll be a unicorn. And that could be like a Disney IP franchise. Absolutely. It could be a game. It could be a web app. I don't know. But it, it feels like it's going to happening. And that is both terrifying and exhilarating, right? Jamie, I, I love this topic and, and I'm inspired to, to read your blog post soon. 
I think over the arc of the last two decades, you're, you're seeing uh, that trend uh, start from you know dot com. Again, it, it, it took sixty million dollars or so to get Webvan to market you know, because you had to go rack your own servers and and coding in HTML didn't have CSS yet. I mean, it, and then very similar to the early days of uh, mobile development, you know, it, it, until the App Store came through. You know, uh, it, or even at the launch of the App Store, it took a team of fifteen, twenty to to build that to to success. And and these days, you you could build you know successful apps in in your spare time. I, I think the tooling for development is uh, accelerating, and, and I think at the same time, what you'll start to also see is uh, the diversification of ideas and. The geography of innovation, you know, what, what's so uh, energizing, but but also probably exhausting for you and me is that there are just so many ideas, so many entrepreneurs in Web three from around the world building some amazing stuff, and, and you just can't touch all of it. You you can't understand all of it b- because there are three people in Belarus or, or three people in New Zealand, two two individuals in Canada. Um, but the hundred x founder is today probably within three years. You're, you're starting to see pockets of this in uh, YouTube, whether it's Mr. Beast or or the influencer economy. Um, you know, certain DAOs uh, operate this way in Web three. Uh, we we are very close, and it is inspiring to see this capital efficient growth, the opportunity for someone to just load up. Uh, a laptop connect to the internet and, and create this this wealth. Um, yeah, I- innovation is accelerating. It is diversifying across geographies, a- across people building for use cases that they truly understand that that they live day to day. And and so, uh, for for me, that's beneficial for society. I I, I love it. I mean, how do you keep up? Right. So you know, we're we've got a hundred people here at Outlier. We'll work. With up to about 200 startups over the course of this year from about, it's probably going to be 3% of applications, something like that. And just to give people context, like 200 this year, it's taken us eight years to, to get to that number. So we're going to double in one year what we did in, in eight. And still we're only investing in uh, 3% of those that apply. So to kind of reinforce what you're saying, there's just this wall of of new founders or serial founders, successful founders um, coming into the space, the barrier to entries lowering. How do you keep up with that as an investor? You know, and and within the constraints of, pers- you know, your your personal time, um, and then also your team. Three observations, Jamie. E- e- even though you and I might fund three percent, one percent of the applications, I, I think your your work on on this podcast, on social media, on blog posts, emails, that knowledge sharing with our general industry and community is inspirational. You know, we, we read it and then recompose that to, to help others. And, and a, a lot of your approach, our approach is pay it forward. And, and that, that knowledge helps lift the baseline for the whole industry. And, and, and therefore that thought leadership really matters because gu- guiding the 100X entrepreneur um, towards responsible innovation, consumer protection, regulatory compliant innovation. It, it is very important. And, and I think that there is a shared vision around technology for good 
use cases that improve people's lives. And, and so I, I think that scale that, you know, you're a hundred X founder too, enables this, you know, touch point, the pay forward beyond just that 3%. Um, having worked with your team, Ben, Max, Vansta, Rumi, I, I know many of those, uh, uh, Hundred employees are are also hundred x people too. I, I I've seen their productivity uh, just explode over the last few months with with AI. But but even before then, you you could see how the use of these technologies helps us better service our founders to um, you know better use our transcripts from our meetings to sort through what what are the takeaways. How, how do we drive that net next level growth? How, how do we better service? Uh, uh, our consumer insights to build that product market fit, you know. And, and then lastly, I, I think that there's also um, so much about the community involvement in this innovation that is um, creating more aligned uh, value creation across the whole ecosystem. When, when, when you do have open knowledge, open finance systems like this, you're able to spread wealth across all geographies ra rather than certain 90-mile stretches of Silicon Valley in Northern California. I, I, I think that that's also very positive for a lot of the developing countries that, that you guys also work with and, and a lot of emerging technology ecosystems where a general upgrade of uh, entire skill sets and, and knowledge workers into Web3 or, or even just generally into emerging technology, uh, you know, provides very good opportunities for people who might have gone into other industries, you know. And, and so I think that generally that that inspires me about, you know, the, the current macroeconomic environment, that this open knowledge sharing and open repos that people are able to tap into. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you're a very purpose-led organization. You mentioned a few things there, I guess, kind of like global distribution, but very explicitly you're, you're targeting women in Web3. You're looking at mental health and wellness, leveraging things like AR and augmented experiences. And I know you're also looking at decentralized science. Could you talk through some of those things, the drivers and um, how you be proactive about those things rather than, you know, kind of just list them as nice areas that you're interested in? Innovation is accelerating so quickly, it's hard to be an expert in everything. And, and you, you do have to pick your swim lanes of where you could add value and, and uh, you know, in, in our team composition, we emphasize superpowers. Uh, yeah, we, we, we are humble in areas where we listen and, and draw on domain expertise that there are certain areas where we could uh, really lean in and scale half our team uh, are, are women. Um, I'm a girl dad, so li live with two young girls. And, you know, um, we believe that there's a large opportunity in, uh, building specific use cases for uh, half our population uh, on this world. And, you know, the, certainly uh, in, in building successful billion user pro products, you, you, you have to include, you know, uh, all, all communities, uh, build with that empathy, learn, you know, how they want to evolve this technology for their needs and wants. And, 
And uh, I, I think it's a missed opportunity when you don't focus on, you know, inclusive growth and, and certain communities. And um, so this might feel a little bit more tactical, but I, I had some show notes and I thought it was interesting. And I think it's a useful thing for founders to understand from a structuring perspective. So I know that you're not focusing on deals which are exclusively equity or token, right? You're looking for exposure across both. Could you maybe talk about that, why that's, has that always been the case or is that something you're focusing on now because of the market cycle? From day one by design, our, our fund is called the Decasonic Disruptive Innovation Venture and Digital Assets Fund. We have the mandate to invest in both. I went through the regulatory licensing to you know, invest as a venture capitalist in digital assets or tokens. We have conviction that projects and companies accelerate when they consider all sources of financing these days that that's the risk management of you know try to tap into funds that are specifically only tokens or funds that are specifically equity having the flexibility across both is just good strategic financial management but at the same time venture equity and digital assets enables better product market fit we also thought think about token market fit we think about how uh, you know you could grow both ecosystems both uh, forms of investment to better address consumer and user needs and wants. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, what we've noticed objectively in our later stage advisory, which is Ascent, is that projects that have both a equity and token component, largely, you know, most teams we work with will have a token component. and, and But those that have maintained an equity component or looked at developing that commercially have fared better in this environment. They've been able to raise more money. They've had a little bit more latitude. Uh, okay, you know, maybe they might put the, the token on hold. They'll lean a little bit more into the equity of the business until the market recovers. So I think it's, it's, it's good advice. And I think that something that even if we were to flip straight into a bull market tomorrow, we would still advise because you need to be evergreen, right? So you can't just be designing for a bull market. That's when you get get caught short because nobody can time the market, right? It's just not, unless you're very lucky. So maybe to kind of just close off, as I said, you know, we're, we're really excited to be working with you as um, what's called a venture partner. You're one of the first venture partners that we formally brought into a program. And you know that's really because you've been a, very valued investor in our network. We've got a number of co-investments. You've led a number of rounds. I know founders have really appreciated having you on the cap table and actually take them on their journey post-graduation. You know, we're, of course, our relationship doesn't end after graduation, but we're really focused on that, that kind of zero to one, to a degree, some of the later stage stuff. But getting people like yourselves as lead investors or just on the cap table is critical to the longevity of um, these teams, their success, and ultimately for us de-risking our investment, right? We, we, we can't serve the whole cycle. We're not, nobody, nobody can, and we're not set up to do that. But it'd be great to kind of articulate why why founders are saying that you don't have to be humble now. You know, you, you've got a great team. You've got some great experience. It'd be great to talk about that value add that you guys bring. I would say, uh, you know, it, in our deal flow, um, we're seeing tremendous before and after changes for uh, those who go through your base camp, um, yeah, uh, we we track this in our CRM, and you know we we have so much respect for uh, your office hours, your your 
you know, a group of experts that are adding that value. Uh, we're very aligned in something very similar. We we believe our expertise along product growth, full stack, uh, you know, technical narrative, product market fit. Uh, these are critical inflection points that can make or break uh, a company's success. It, it, it helps de-risk how a founder goes from zero, systematically accelerate through these milestones to a successful outcome. And, and that expertise, we've been, been able to systematize it, add value in a very similar way that you guys have been adding value. Um, and and we're, we're just honored and grateful to be able to share it with our founders and and, and contribute into the ecosystem. So, um, you know, we, we view our value add as, uh, you know, something that helps us uh, sustain our competitive advantage over the long term. It helps our company sustain their competitive, you know, competitive edge and, and innovation over the long term. And uh, it helps us build industry-defining companies. So very excited to be collaborating with you in this uh, mainstream Web3 uh, uh, cohort. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, hopefully one of many as well. So what I would recommend, maybe just for clarity, what, what Venture Partner means is, is effectively we'll be working with uh, Decasonic to make the capital investments into the teams, but then also um, work with you and your team on the thesis formation, the investment committees, and then, of course, um, uh, you guys leaning into uh, kind of post-graduation support. I think it's a dream team, great collaboration, lots of value for the founders. And as I said, people can apply. Uh, it will be the BC10 program, Basecamp 10 program, uh, rather than a specific protocol or anything. And so if you go to outliveventures.io slash Basecamp and you have a look for the, the, the BC10 program, that's where you're going to find us and our partners with Decasonic. So maybe to kind of just close off, you know, you like and, and this is a big part of uh, our kind of partner selection processes. Very, very founder first. You know, you're kind of thinking of the founder uh, first and foremost. What advice do you have for founders now who are nervous? You know, of of the macro environment, nervous of their ability to raise money or enough money, or you know, the ability to kind of pay the bills and, 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 and keep, keep the staff to keep that kind of product and growth momentum, uh, you know, what advice would you have them? My, my advice is just control what you can control, you know, control your path towards greatness, know what's great. You know, if, if you find those long-term of, you know, long-term value aligned investors, they, they will stick by you during these times. We, we've seen that in past cycles. I'm grateful for, for my limited partners to, stick by us. We've had 100%, close to 100% of our capital called, uh, you know, wire, uh, no, no issues on our end with dry powder. Very grateful for that long-term commitment. It, it, it is an uncertain time right now. Uh, founders should find those committed capital providers who will help you manage through these times. Controlling your burn, controlling what you can control is the only thing we can control these days. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Also, knowing your investors' investors, right? So as you say, you know, your, right. your LP, often it, it, money's treated as equal and it's really not. You know, the, the GPs are heavily influenced by the, the LPs and uh, their attitudes, sentiments and whatever else is going on to their, their wider portfolio. So having that level of uh, commitment from your LPs really gives you huge latitude and freedom, right, to be convicted. So I, I'd really stress 
just generally for founders to be aware of that. And I think that's another really good selling point for, for Decasonic. But Paul, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, great to get to know you a little bit better. Sorry it's taken that this long for you and I to, to have this chat. Likewise. Mm-hmm. And uh, really looking forward to collaborating with you more deeply uh, and formally on BC10 and, and looking forward to doing many more. Same here. Thank you for your vision, leadership in our innovation. I think uh, you've impacted so many founders and I'm always inspired by your work. Thank you, Jamie. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 